I want to talk to you today about glory, specifically about the glory of Jesus. So we know Jesus is the Son of Man, but we also know Jesus the Son of God, and that there is a great deal of glory attached with the reality of being Son of God. The glory of the angels themselves when they appear is overwhelming, and they are not the Son of God. But when Jesus came to the earth, he very intentionally veiled his glory. It was hidden. Well, why would he do that? The reason he would do that is because if Jesus had come in all the fullness of his glory, we'd have been so overwhelmed by it, by just his presence, that we would have followed him for the wrong reason. You see, what he was looking to do was win back the hearts of men, not overwhelm us and dazzle us with his glory in a way that we just kind of followed after stupidly because we'd never seen anything else like that. So he veiled his glory so that we would follow him for the right reasons. But yet there was always a part of him that longed for us to see the fullness of his glory. And I believe there's a part in us that longs to be dazzled by the glory of God manifest in Jesus, by his glory, to see him for all that he really is. And there's a very interesting moment that takes place in the prayer that Jesus prays. It's recorded in John chapter 17. There's a very interesting moment that takes place in this prayer. Now, to put it in context, this prayer takes place uh, in the book of John after a number of chapters that have been related to Jesus talking to the disciples right there uh, at that Last Supper. So it starts in chapter 13, and we have the foot washing, and then 14 talks about let not your heart be troubled, and all of these things. Jesus is giving them advice and counsel. But he gets to, it gets to chapter 17 in the book of John, and John records that Jesus prayed a prayer. Now, I want to walk you through a little bit of that prayer, because I want to build up to what Jesus says that I think is so remarkable. So we're in John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Now, this is interesting, what he's saying here. He's talking about glorify your son as I glorify you. Now, specifically what he's talking about here, he's on his way to the cross. And the great moment of glory will take place in what seems like the greatest moment of ugliness. But Jesus is going to glorify the Father in what he does. And through that... He's going to give eternal life to as many as the Father has given him, to as many as the Father has called, meaning for all of us who have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives, calling us to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, verse 3, this is, this is amazing. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is amazing words. And this is eternal life, 
that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We tend to think of eternal life in a very self-centered way. We think of eternal life in the sense of continuing to live forever. But that's just the byproduct. The reality of eternal life is to be in relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. This is the essence of of eternal life. And the one who is in that relationship, yeah, they go on and live forever. But it's more the quality of that relationship that produces this eternal life. Verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth, Jesus said. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus is talking about the glory that's been hidden, that can't be seen while he carries out this mission to save the world. Now I want to jump forward in the prayer to verse 20. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, speaking of the disciples and the ones that were in the room, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know who that is? That's us. We believe in Jesus through the word that they recorded and was passed from generation to generation to generation to generation to us to the day that we believe. Jesus, when he was on earth, prayed for us, prayed for our day, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory, here's glory again, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just like we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So this is amazing words, an amazing theology here, and we're not going to break it down in detail, but this idea of, of I in them, Christ in us, and God in Christ, bringing about a unity amongst us all, and a glory that comes to us when Christ is in us, that, that, that emanates out of us as the reality of the glory of God is made manifest in our lives. As we go about our lives doing good things in the name of Jesus and in the manner of Jesus, a glory is revealed in the world. But now this is the verse that I was talking about at the beginning. It's verse 24. And Jesus says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So in this moment, as Jesus is in prayer, he's with his disciples, he's in prayer with the Father, he's in connection with the Father. He says, oh, I would love for them to see the fullness of my glory. It's been hidden. They've only gotten just a little glimpse. They've come to appreciate Jesus. They've come to, to be amazed by him. They've been, been completely their mind's blown a few times, but they've yet to see the fullness of his glory. They got a taste. So an example of a time they got a taste is in Matthew chapter 14. And this is the story of when the disciples head out across the water and Jesus stays behind. 
And then he comes to them walking on the water. And you remember this whole story. It's a remarkable story. And then Peter gets out and walks and then he sinks down. But the ending of it, after Jesus gets in the boat and then the storm is settled again, the ending of it, verse 33 of Matthew chapter 14, is interesting. It says, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now in this moment, Jesus didn't, didn't appear in a, in a radiant glory, but the fact that he was walking on the water, the fact that the storm was settled when he got in the boat, this awe came upon them. And these men who were so accustomed to being with Jesus, walking with him, being friends with him, in that moment, it says they worshipped him and said, truly you are the Son of God. There was a realization, there was a, a glimpsing of God's glory. Now, there's actually three of the disciples who saw the glory of Jesus even in a more profound way than this. And for this story, we go over a couple chapters to Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Now, I want you to think about that and to try to imagine this scene. You've walked up with Jesus. He walked up the hill just like you did. You've gone up the hill with him and suddenly you're up the hill and he's transfigured. And his face is as bright as the sun. You know how bright the sun is. And his clothes are, are, are a radiant white. And then if that wasn't crazy enough, now verse 3, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Poor Peter, his mind is blown and he's doing his best. Verse 5, while Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. What a mind-blowing experience that must have been. And the overwhelming glory that was revealed, the, the only thing they could do was fall before Jesus. So I want to ask you a question. This is a little bit of a strange question, but I want to ask you a question. What is Jesus? Okay, that may be a little different than you expected. Maybe you expected me to say, who is Jesus? But I want to ask you, what is Jesus? Is he the friend that's closer than a brother that you walk along beside? Is he so glorious 
that in his presence we fall to the ground as though dead? Or is there some way that both of these things can be true? Well, let's push a little further down this road. Is there a danger that we would have a favorite form of Jesus in our mind and then somehow miss out on or deny the other? Maybe our favorite form is Jesus the body, but we don't know about Jesus the glorious, or, or maybe we're only in the context of the transcendent glorious God and, and we've never known the closeness of a walk with Jesus. I want to go now to two encounters that are recorded in Scripture that I think illustrate this reality of, of the closer than a brother, but also transcendently glorious Jesus. And, and these two encounters, it's the same Jesus having an interaction with the same John. But both of these interactions result in very different experiences. And for this, I want to go to John chapter 13. And this is the beginning of, the, of John's written version of the experience in the upper room. John chapter 13, and I want to begin in verse 21. Now this is after Jesus has talked to them about washing each other's feet. He'd washed their feet, and then he told them, you need to do it too. But then verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified, saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was, now notice this language. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Do you notice the proximity discussion here? The, the description here. One of the disciples was next to Jesus and literally leaning over on him. Verse 24. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was who Jesus spoke of. So Simon's saying, Who's going to betray him? Ask him. Verse 25, Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered Judas then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. So you see this moment. They're, they're all gathered there together. Jesus is just like the rest of the group. And they're close. And they love one another. And they're close to each other. And, and here's John leaning over to Jesus and asking him, who is it? The physical closeness the safety of friends together sharing a private conversation. This is the conclusion I draw from this story. John was not intimidated by Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is very safe to be close to. And, and if this was the only story we had, we would say, true. And I believe it is true. But it's not complete. Because 
Now let me read you another encounter. Same John, same Jesus. Only this time we're in Revelation chapter 1. I begin in verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. You remember a few years ago we did a series on the seven churches, and we started out here, and we spent some time here. And if you want, and you have time during this time when we're not able to gather in the church, go back and, and review that series. It's, it's remarkable words that are recorded from there. But what I, what I want to key on today is this experience of John. So same John, our brother working for the kingdom of God, he's been put on the island of Patmos. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he hears a voice like a trumpet. That's loud. And this voice says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Now we go to verse 12. So now John hears the voice. And verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. Now you got you to try to see this. Because the appearance here is very important to the point we're trying to understand today. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now catch the first part of verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Same Jesus, same John, but now instead of an intimate closeness where John leans over to him, instead John sees him and he falls on the ground as though he's dead. So which is it? Is it the friend closer than a brother? Or is it the overwhelming glory before which we cannot stand? Are you willing to let me answer that question with yes? It's both. Jesus is every bit of both. Verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. 
So in that moment, there's both Jesus's, right? There's the overwhelming presence that has dropped John on the ground, but there's also the intimate loving friend. So having described to you these two realities, let me ask this question. When you think of Jesus, which Jesus do you think of? We need to think of both. We need to imagine him and we need to understand him as close, as patient, as listening, as kind, as attentive, as one that we run to. As Jesus said, how, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers its chicks. So yes, imagine him that way. But we need to also imagine his glory. The flashing brilliance like lightning. So we're in Florida, we know about lightning. You go out on a hot summer night and the bright flash of lightning lights up the sky. This is like the glory of Jesus, only not even, not even getting to it. Jesus is so much more. And Jesus has the eyes of flaming fire that don't just see the outside of you, they see all the way to your soul. There is nothing hidden from his gaze. And Jesus has the power to command. He has the power to command the forces of man. He has the power to command the forces of nature. And he has the power to command the angels in heaven. He is great and he is glorious. Without the close Jesus, we are hopeless. But without the powerful Jesus, we are helpless. But when we have both the closeness and the power, we have the hope we need and we have the help we need. See, this is why Jesus is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last, close and transcendent. So here's one more question for you. Are you worshiping the real Jesus? Or are you just worshiping half of him? Jesus said in his prayer, Father, I want them with me that they might see my glory, the glory I had with you from the beginning. Revelation chapter 22, this same Jesus Verse 12, he says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right 
to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Here's the thing. Jesus is coming again and he's not coming veiled this time. He's coming as the conquering king in the fullness of his glory. And he wants you to see the fullness of his glory. And yeah, you might fall down as dead, but he doesn't want you to be afraid. Because this Jesus who comes in power is the same Jesus who died to save you. Do you want to see the glory of Jesus? Do you want to see it and not be afraid? But instead see it and say, this is our God. We have waited for him. The way you be ready for him the second time he comes is to accept what he did for you the first time he came. The first time he came, he came to take away your sins. So if you want to see Jesus in his glory, then today you want to confess your sins. You want to be made right. You want to say, Jesus, take away my sin. Fill me with your spirit and transform me into a vessel into which your spirit dwells. And then I go about revealing your glory and the things that I do in your name. Ask for him to send his Holy Spirit into your life today. You see, this is how we get ready for him to come again. His spirit will lead us. His spirit will tell us. His spirit will show the way. His spirit will give us the strength. So that on the day he comes, in the fullness of his glory, we will be ready to see him and rejoice. Don't just worship half of Jesus. He is the friend closer than the brother. But he is also more glorious than anything you have ever seen or experienced in your life. Open yourself to all that Jesus is. And Lord, we pray. Show us your glory. Amen.